Welcome to 2021. It is really good to be. <laughs> We're excited about that. I'm personally excited about that. Uh, I want to thank you just for joining us again. If you're joining us online at home, thank you for being with us. Thank you for engaging in the service today. And um, it's wild to think about um, how much has happened in the last year, but I am very grateful just for, like what John Michael said, for God's provision and goodness right here at Center through all of it. I mean, the way we served, the way we gave, the way we worshiped, and the way we adapted and figured things out. Um, I'm grateful for you who really are the church. The church is not our staff or some like inanimate, inanimate object out there. It's you. It's people just like you who make it happen, who make it run. And uh, actually, the last couple weeks uh, of December and even the first week, like this week in January, is basically one of my favorite times of the year. Now, I love Easter. I love my birthday. I love Lindsay's birthday. I love um, our anniversary. I love all the things that are part of like a normal year, like holidays. I love Labor Day weekend. I love Memorial Day weekend. I love all these things that we get to do as just a country. But what I really love is these couple weeks that we're in right now, because for me, these couple weeks are full of potential. Like they're just full of opportunity. They're full of setting new goals or tracking with new habits or uh, eating a little bit less Taco Bell in the new year. Like there's all these things that people like you and I decide in this lifespan, like in this span of a couple weeks that we want to do differently. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that right now, all of us are sharing that experience. Like even as we're going into a new year, we share some of that experience. But I want to kind of draw your attention somewhere else. Because one of the things I've reflected on the last couple weeks is that not only are we living in a time of incredible potential and opportunity, we're also living in a time in which all of us share one common temptation. Like as we begin the new year, every single one of us has this exact same temptation that is in our minds. It's indirectly working in our families, in our workplaces, even on our commute. It's working even within our church community to to try to draw us towards this temptation. Even I think about my own life, like this last year, I I struggled with this temptation and all of us share it right now. It's the temptation in 2021 to coast spiritually. All of us share it, every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus for decades, which some of you have. It doesn't matter if you just began that relationship with Jesus, which some of you did a couple weeks ago at Christmas. It doesn't matter if you are studying to be in ministry, or you're feeling a call to full-time ministry, or you are trying to reorient your family around Jesus this next year, it doesn't matter where you fall. All of us are tempted in this next year, beginning right now, to just coast spiritually. And all of you know what that feels like. All of us know what it feels like to coast spiritually. It means that the stress level of our lives seems to increase. Well, when we coast spiritually, we tend to withhold our money instead of giving it away. When we uh, are tempted to coast spiritually, our marriage becomes about a lot of other things other than Jesus at the center. When we coast spiritually, even our church, it's easy as just a community of people to get off track to other things that we think matter more. We gossip more. We stop reading the Bible. We pray less. We worship less engaged. We just start to dread like some of those spiritual habits that actually give us real life. And when we coast, here's the most dangerous thing about it. We become increasingly distant from Jesus. Not just like some of those things change in our life, because some of those things do change. We actually become increasingly farther apart from the person of Jesus. We, we start to lose 
the picture of what God is like. We start to lose sight of his character, of his faithfulness in our lives, of his goodness, of his steadfastness, even in an uncertain year. When we coast, we become increasingly distant. We lose the vision. We lose the sight line of who God is. So let's ask the question first Sunday in 2021, how do you avoid that? How do you avoid coasting? How do you avoid not just gliding by spiritually? And how do you avoid living the exact same way spiritually as we all did through last year? Because here's what I know is true. Now, you may be sitting in here freezing your butt off, and you're the true few. Uh, But what I think is really interesting is that there's a desire in every single one of us, evidenced by the fact you're sitting in these seats or you're joining online, to grow spiritually. Every single one of us. None of us would say, yeah, 2021, I want to figure out how do I take a few steps backwards with God? Like, none of, I hope, I don't think any of you would say that. Like, all of us want to take steps forward. And so I thought if we began the year together and we decided we're not going to coast spiritually, we're going to pursue the person of Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on him. So I said, what is the best place we could find out how to do that? And immediately a book of the Bible came to mind. The most misunderstood, most confusing, most weird, apocalyptic book I could possibly find that none of you have your life first in, Revelation. I said, let's go there. Like, let's start the year where the Bible ends. And so I want you to literally turn there. If you have a Bible or device or you're ready in the room already, uh, Revelation 1, verse 1. Like, we're going to start out there and we're going to look at what it means to be kind of the kind of people who follow after Jesus himself. And so... I'm just going to start off in the prologue, and it really sets up the rest of this letter that we're going to dive into over the next few weeks. Here's what John writes. He says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it, because the time is near. This sets up the book. Now, we're not going to cover all of the verses. Only a few of these verses will be on the screen. But as we go through this chapter, here's how the letter continues. It starts out with his greetings. In verse 4, it says, John, not me, but the apostle John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So this is who the letter, Revelation, is addressed to. Seven churches, churches, scattered throughout the Roman Empire, scattered throughout the province of Asia. And here's what he says, grace and peace to you from him who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Now, it's a little confusing in the language, but really what's happening here is the disciple John is getting a direct revelation from an angel or some kind of vision from the heavenlies. It doesn't specifically say, but basically it's some kind of divine message that he is penning down and writing on behalf of this messenger. Keeps going in verse 5. To him who loves us, talking about Jesus, has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then he combines this prophecy from Zechariah and Daniel, talking about the coming kingdom of God. It says, look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then direct quotation from God himself. He says, I am the Alpha 
and the omega, which is just Greek words, first and last. I'm the first and last. Says the Lord God who was, who, sorry, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What John is doing here, really in the first couple verses of Revelation, this, this Revelation letter uh, to the Jewish church, to the Christian church who's beginning their journey. This is just not even decades later after Jesus has ascended to heaven. The church was born in Acts. We literally just sang about that. Like all this stuff is happening and the churches are scattered trying to find their way. The word apocalypse is really a Greek idea. It's this Greek word meaning uncovering. And that's why we get our English word revelation, kind of this revelation, this revealing or uncovering of a message. That's what the apocalypse means. Um, John is setting up this apocalyptic letter to these seven churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And let's be real, to be a Christian in this Roman Empire, in this day they're living in, was incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. I mean, John himself, we find, and we're going to read on through this chapter one, we find that John himself was kind of victimized under this Roman persecution campaign that the Emperor Domitian sent through all of this, these provinces, basically saying, if you're a Christian, we're going to kick you out of your home, we're going to take your land, we're going to take your family, we're going to split them apart and exile you to all these places. And oh, by the way, if you're a disciple, if you're like a pronounced follower of Jesus, if we know for sure that you've been sharing the gospel with other people, we're kicking you out to the farthest places we can find. That's, what hap- that's why John is in this small 13-square-mile island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. It wasn't because he had an Airbnb there. It was like he's literally in a cave, kicked out, ostracized from the community, his church, his family, his neighbors and friends, because he was a follower of Jesus, and everyone knew it. So they kick him out to this island. Uh, what's interesting, too, is you look at the story of Revelation, especially what we just read. John does, is not writing to Christians in Byron Center in 2021. Like Revelation was not written for you and I. It was actually written to encourage and to confront these seven churches that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. There's definitely lessons we're going to pull out over the next couple weeks from this. It definitely still means something, but he has these Christians in mind who are under strict, oppressive persecution under the Roman foot. Like they are trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus in this really difficult time, even in a time where it almost reminds you of some of the World War I and II stuff that was going on because the Romans would actually print and, and distribute propaganda reminding people that Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. Jesus is not Lord, Domitian is Lord. Jesus is not Lord, Nero is Lord. And if you disagree with that, you might as well pack your bags and get ready to go off to these islands where they just sent people in exile. That's what happened to John. He said, I actually believe Jesus is Lord. He has this early vision in the first eight verses uh, reminding him of who Jesus really is but this is the culture. This is what Revelation, who he was writing to in the midst of this really difficult time to follow, follow Jesus. What I think is interesting is as you look at this kind of map and you see all these churches we're going we're gonna to talk through and study, and then you look at Patmos, it's kind of out there. If there's anywhere to coast spiritually, it's Patmos. Like you have no accountability. You have nobody around you. If anyone could just mail it in and you wouldn't really be blamed for it, it would be the Apostle John. And yet he has this revelation. We find out where it comes from in verse 9. He writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Really, just 
he's in prayer. He's talking to God. He's petitioning God. He's, he's in communion with his heavenly Father. I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a voice, loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see. Send it to these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Pergamum Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Laodicea. No, it's not in there. Just seeing if you're still awake. Um, in verse 11, and so as you look, we see this is who we're going to talk about. This is the letters that Jesus is directly addressing these seven churches. Some of them did some great things right. A lot of them did a lot of things wrong and got off track. They were coasting spiritually, and that's what, why we're looking at this series, Jesus People, and what he says to them. So we're not going to read the whole Revelation. I would encourage you to read it because it is really fascinating. It's just packed with meaning. But John's vision of Jesus in the, in the middle of exile in Patmos teaches us something. Because as you read towards the end, in verse 17, this is what he writes at the end of this vision. John says, when I saw him, Jesus, when I, when I fixed my gaze, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the revelation. This is what happens when you really encounter God. Some of you know what this feels like in worship. You're like, how do I do anything except just get on my knees or lift my hands and just, I'm in awe, God, of who you are. This is what's happening to John. He says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I, Jesus, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. What I think is fascinating to set up this letter is that John has a personal encounter, a realignment, if you will, of, of the vision of Jesus. He gets a clear picture of who God really is. And this is a word for 2020. I mean, this, or 2021, wow, just trauma, just flood, flooded my heart there. <laughs> Scars, it still hurts. Uh, 2021, as we look at this year though, and I was reflecting on this even over the last couple of weeks, what I think is fascinating about this is this whole letter that's so often misunderstood and misapplied, and we're going to dig into all the, the context and the, the meat of this book together. But as you look at this, the first thing that happens is John gets a clear picture of Jesus, a clear vision of who God is. Here's, here's the word for 2021 for us. When we see Jesus clearly, we see life clearly. Let me say that one more time. When we see Jesus clearly, when we get a glimpse face to face, not sitting in church, not living off a parent's faith, not living off a former faith that was really alive and vibrant, when you and I in our real selves, in our real time with God, look and behold who God really is. That's the power of Christmas. That's the power of, of the new year. As you look at who God really is, when you get a clear glimpse of Jesus, the real and true and beautiful Jesus, all of life seems to get clearer as well. Now, now I don't mean clear as in better. I didn't say clear as in simpler. I didn't say clear as in less complex or less painful but clearer. We get perspective. We get a glimpse into what God is doing in, in the middle of some difficult situations, in the middle of physical suffering, in the middle of what feels like true brokenness. I mean, for as I look at my own life, this was my biggest point of struggle in my faith the last seven or eight years, was a warped and distorted view of Jesus. 
And I was living, I mean, I could trace back almost every sinful pattern or streak of pride or, uh, or gossip or anger or dissension in relationship. I could trace almost all those back to a real bad picture of who Jesus really was, to a bad vision of who God was. It wasn't until I sat with a counselor or spiritual director uh, about a year ago now, I sat down with him and uh, he asked a famous question. If you've ever, ever been to a counselor or a therapist, you know this question. He says, John, tell me why you're here. Why are you here? Like, why, why are you sitting in this chair? Why did you commit to this? Why are you here? And I said back to him real clearly, because this is where I, I was at the time. I just said, you know what? Honestly, I am really, really disappointed with God. I'm just disappointed. And I just began to list all the ways that I thought, God, if I do this, you're supposed to do this, and God, you're not doing this. If I did X, you're supposed to do Y. You haven't done Y. What's the deal? I thought that's how faith worked. I thought I gave you this, my performance, my success, my faithfulness, my integrity, and then you give me a better life, or you give me the life that I've always wanted. I'm disappointed. And over the next couple months, what I had to unravel and uncover, my own personal apocalypse, if you will, was just doing the hard work of getting my picture of Jesus clearer, seeing him, seeing God for who he really was. Life began to be clearer after that. I got perspective. Things didn't get magically easier, but I just had a different level of surrender and openness and willingness to hear from God in my daily life, like things really did fundamentally change for me spiritually. When you see Jesus clearly, you see life clearly. Things start to get perspective again. Uh, this weekend, uh, Lindsay and I decided to run through our, or maybe it was this week, I don't remember. It's all a blur. <laughs> we were running at some point through our neighborhood. We've lived there a little over a year. And uh, you can do a lot of miles. Like you do probably five, six, maybe even seven miles if you hit every single street. We did not do that many. We decided to do a couple miles and it was snowy. It was somewhat pretty. The roads were somewhat okay. We ran right down the middle and uh, my wife is pregnant and that's, she's a boss. I mean, the fact that she's still running and just crushing it. I, I just envision all my neighbors just like, wow, that lady's incredible. <laughs> like Just the belly, everything. It's amazing. Um, that, that's kind of what I say to myself, at least. She probably didn't think that about herself. That's what I think uh, around me. And so we decided to go for a run together, which we don't do as much now, but we decided to do it this past week. It was funny because I was running through the neighborhood, and I was running slower, not because of her, obviously, but because of me. Uh, we were running a little bit slower and taking more time to walk throughout this run. And I started to notice houses I've never seen before. Have you had this happen to you before? Like you, you drive, drive through a neighborhood most of the time, maybe where you live, but there's occasionally times where you just walk or you take the dog out and you're like, I didn't even know that house was there. I'd never even seen that house. Or I've never seen their yard or, or their landscape. I didn't know they had a pool. I didn't know they had uh, that kind of car. I mean, there's just things you notice. And when you slow down, you start to see things more clearly. And, and I think that's what John is kind of getting at. I mean, all the distractions were removed from John, not for better or for worse. And in John's vision, we get a glimpse, and he sees Jesus totally clearly, first and last, almighty, ruler of the kings of the earth. Emperor Caesar is not God. 
God is God. Jesus himself is still on the throne. That's John's vision is this perfect picture of who Jesus is. And so much, friends, if you want to get better spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, if there's some patterns or habits or sins in your life that seem to creep up over and over again, define and clarify your picture of Jesus. Spend time with him. Soak in his word. Pray. Set aside time. Even the fact that you're here, I applaud, I celebrate, because you are getting a clear picture of who Jesus is. And you may be asking, can Jesus really meet my need for intimacy and relationship as a single 40-year-old? Can Jesus really fulfill my desire for a job after college that contributes positively to the world? Can Jesus really heal my marriage that's worse this week than it was last week? Can Jesus really provide for me when there isn't enough in the checking account, when the margin is gone, when the buffer has since evaporated? Can Jesus really fulfill my deepest longings and desires? John is saying in Revelation 1, yes. Yes, he can. He can. And when you see Jesus clearly, you begin to see all of life clearly you get perspective that you don't always have. That's been my experience. And I look around the room, so many of you, that's been your experience. I mean, even in the trials and the sufferings of life, sometimes that's what it takes for God to get our attention and clarify who he really is. And if there's anything I could ask or I could beg you to do this year, 2021, to not coast spiritually, it's going to be just keep pursuing a picture of Jesus the real him, not your parents' religion, not, I remember I used to believe this, or I remember this is how I used to be, or when I was married first, this is what it, no, none of, just shed all of those things. Allow God to start right now in this moment to share with you, this is who I really am. And so much of our life, so much of our brokenness just comes from that warped and distorted picture of who God is. And when we allow him to clarify and to speak for himself, if he will, we begin to see all of life more clearly. And as we dig in over the next couple of weeks to these churches, you're going to see this is the fundamental problem. And this is why I think it's beautiful that John, like so many others, I mean, you, you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's people who get a clear picture of God himself, and it changes their entire life. Think about the prophet Isaiah we just studied for the last month in Isaiah 6, some of you know this passage, he has this encounter with a vision of who God really is, not who he thought he was or who he was supposed to look like or what he was supposed to be, and it actually drives Isaiah to his knees. He trembles and falls, and then there's this response of, here I, here I am, I send me, take me out of my complacency and use me however you want, and then the book, the prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah begin to come to life and begins prophesying about the coming of Jesus, which we just celebrated at Christmas. Theologian and author, Pastor Tim Keller, who's been actually one of the most influential writers in my own kind of formation and, and being able to see Jesus clearly, he says this when talking about vision. He says, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. 
If you follow Jesus for 24 hours, you know that's true. You've sensed it, you feel it, and yet so often we live out of a warped sense of faith and purpose because our faith becomes in our own strength, in our own performance, even in our own faith. And yet what Tim Keller is trying to point out, and I think John points this out at the beginning of Revelation, it's, it's the object of your faith. It's who you're placing faith in. It's a, a clear picture of Jesus that actually saves you that actually redeems you, that transforms your life. Strong faith in a weak branch, which all of us are weak branches. All of us have weak branches. Your job is a weak branch. Your marriage, as great as it may be, is a weak branch. Your job, your ability to procure a great job, they're all weak branches. They are fatally inferior to just having a little bit of faith, honest, pure, vulnerable faith and a strong branch. That's Jesus. That's the hope for 2021. That's the the aim. That's the direction of faith for for your next year. To not co-spiritually begins by placing faith, by having a clear picture of who Jesus is. This is the beauty of Revelation. That Jesus himself begins this letter showing himself to John and saying, if you really want to grow, if you really want to be transformed and to have a changed life, it's not about just getting a better object. It's not about just getting better faith or stronger faith. It's about getting a better object of your faith, a better object to direct your life, a better object to place the vision for your family and your future and your own purpose and career on. So friends, where today, as you look at your life, as you survey it, as you want to probably change some things this year, where's your vision distorted? What area of life, if you could just snap a finger, do you want to see God transform and change? And you just know, yeah, I'm living out of a pretty warped view, maybe, of who I thought God was. The way you get to that question is just asking real simply, where am I coasting? (laughs) Where, Where have I kind of put it in cruise control and I'm not engaged? I'm just passive, just letting life happen to me. I'm not growing spiritually because I'm not really doing anything. And again, it's not about our effort. It's not about your better performance. What John is saying, it's about just getting a clear picture of a fully surrendered you, placing your gaze, fixing your gaze on the person of Jesus. And that's when things start to change. So what I want to do before we sing, before we move through the rest of our our morning and, and wrap up and go back to life, go back to normal, go back to Monday, is just pray. Because I know for some of you, there's a really clear place in your life. You're like, this is the area. This is the thing. This is the relationship. This is the arena. This is the workplace. This is the meeting in which I just tend to coast spiritually and I don't want to do that. And so I want to invite you just to close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray over you as we, as we move to worship. But what I want to do is just, if you know that there's a spot, there's a place that you just need a clear picture of Jesus to show up in your life. I'm going to ask you just to real briefly raise your hand because I want to pray specifically for you in this room or if you're joining online to so just let us know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Amen. So God, I just thank you for the boldness of those in the room. If you're, for those who are watching online who just know that there's, there's some places that they need clarity on. Maybe it's a big decision. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's doubts. 
and skepticism, maybe even has grown to cynicism about what this year could look like or what this marriage is going to be like or what my college career is going to look like. I pray, God, that you would right now for us, and you can start with me, give us a clear, unfiltered picture of who you are. Help us as we spend time with you, as we engage with your Holy Spirit to really pursue you, Jesus. Not a better year, not a better job, not a better us, but a better object of faith, a better relationship, Jesus, with who you are and what you're really like. Thank you for this vision. Thank you for John's testimony and his witness that thousands of years later, we can look back and say, yeah, you're right. That is the most important thing. When we see you clearly, God, you end up making life a little bit more clear. I pray for my friends, for my brothers and sisters who just sit here and just are on the cliff of a brand new year. God, I pray that as we follow you as a church, as individuals, as families, as marriages, as, as friends, God, keep our vision of you clear. Keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Our gaze wouldn't be broken in this year. Thank you for what you're doing and pray that you help us in this time to respond to you well, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances, despite the pain, despite the division, and to know that the battle and who you are really belongs to you. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.